Hey guys. Yo. Hey man. I didn't co-host you, my bad guys. Uh, I was just inviting everyone. How does it feel to be wrong, Scott? I'm always wrong. And Ryan, actually both of you, how does it feel to be wrong? How does it feel to see that TVL and Frantec hit, a, hit an all-time high? It doesn't make it useful. Just means that degenerates are going to degenerate. Uh, my, uh, remember, I remember I had a change, a, a slight change of heart where I said when they when they introduced the credit card payments, I said there is a, there is a chance that if they keep increasing utility, their sunny may may come out of it. But I'm still, I tried to jump onto it today. It's impossible to use. It's so, it's it's one of the worst user experiences I've ever I've ever had. Well, that's expected. Like it's only it's only what a few. But you, few... you know what you know why I think it, it's not really accepted because the reason why it's not a good user experience is not anything to do with blockchain. It's actually got to do with like basic functionality of using a chat and being able to chat no to people. It literally has no utility. It literally has no utility. You can't do anything in that chat. Yeah, do, I mean, yeah, you, find the, you find the, the same thing, right? The ex- yeah, but That's the utility impossible. is the exclusivity of joining the chat, though, and, yeah. and then the features, Come the on. functionality will be added over time. Come on. if they, they, that That is a ridiculous, ridiculous crypto-only concept. Can you imagine if – okay, let, let me say this. Can you imagine if Facebook had launched and the only thing you could do was sign up? Like, you couldn't actually talk to anyone. You couldn't uh, post news. How about if Instagram launched but didn't have photos yet? You don't launch until you actually have a product that people could use. It's literally just a reason for people to pump and dump using their own egos and make a bunch of money. That's it. It may add utility, but it was not built or created with the utility in mind. There's yet another thing where it's like, uh, like, yeah, let's make a dog coin and then three years later make a metaverse for that stupid dog coin. <laughs> okay, moving on from the metaverse dog coin, uh, we've got Jeremy on stage. I think the story as of the Scott day. Was talking, uh, sorry, as Scott was talking, you you saw his uh, frantic price plummet. It can't go any it's, lower. I'm 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 fully at the floor. It's amazing. Well, yeah, I mean, I mean, soon you'll soon uh, you'll be paying people to 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 listen to you. Yeah. I'm actually gonna like I'm actually doing it now. Like what I'm trying to start I'm starting to use it more and more. Like I'm just doing some silly stuff. Like I literally took a photo. I never sent selfies of me, which sounds very dumb. I'm like, fuck it. Let me do something I never usually do, see if people hate it or like it. So I've I've started like doing altcoin daily, I think do something similar. Foot so I'm foot sending like are nudes. Feet are nudes. No, no, just well, um um it doesn't yeah, look, I'm just taking a photo of me in like the red light room doing the space. And, and like I just sent it. To try it, Scott. Text. Scott and Ryan. Yeah, I just did it. Try, try, Scott. Uh, try taking a photo and Ryan, do it now. No joke. Take a photo and post it on Frantech and see what your audience thinks. You still have a lot of coin holders. And see if I they like it. Send you want more photos. Bro, you do. I mean, I'm taking a picture of my feet right now. And I'm Are you being serious? Oh, yeah, no, so please, don't. Please. Please, please, please do. Please do. Please do. I own shares in you. Please. Yeah, me too, me too, Scott. And I want them. As a shareholder, I want them. We, I vote yes. I think your voters vote yes. Um, as well, Scott... Someone... Go ahead, bro. Did, did, I just lost the connection there for a second. But when somebody buys one of your keys, they actually have the rights to you and whatever uh, they want from you. You're using connection, but I want to I want to kick it off uh, while well, Scott gets the uh, connection back. I want to kick it off. It's, it's a lot of news today. It's actually a very busy day. Um, nothing too major is what we've seen over the last few weeks, but just a, a lot of interesting snippets. We got the the library. I think uh, Jeremy, you're suing the SEC. Did I get that right? 
We are appealing the SEC's decision. Appealing the SEC decision. I mean, it's one of the major stories. I'll talk about the four major stories we have today. So we've got library appealing the SEC decision. Obviously, after recent rulings, uh, it gives them, uh, after the, the Ripple case, uh, it you know makes your case likely stronger, Jeremy. So it's going to be interesting to discuss that. We have a, a crypto token being developed by JP Morgan that we're going to discuss, and that's different to JP Coin. We're going to discuss that. Another one is there's a headline here by Reuters that DCG and Barry Silver are potentially under an FBI investigation. Now, I'm very careful when I say this because I can see how it's been, you know, obviously I've been the victim of it being used improperly. Um, but we'll dig into it a bit further. Um, and again, FBI investigation doesn't mean much. Um, and could be used loosely, but still worth discussing. And uh, we know there's a lot of meat there, and it is worth discussing. And lastly, Sushi and the head chef, Jared, were recently served with an SEC subpoena. We do have Jared on stage as well. It's going to be an incredible day. There's other bits and pieces of news. I'll mention three other big pieces of news that we won't go too deep into. Uh, the IMF telling nations not to ban Bitcoin. We covered that yesterday. And we've got Frentech hitting an all-time high in TVL. The reason I put that as big news is because we've talked about it so I much. I posted my feed. It's done. The oh, foot, my God, bro. And, 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 and lastly is the Ant Group, China's Ant Group, which is the owner of Alibaba, is launching a blockchain called Zan. How decentralized, etc. Uh, we'll discuss that in a bit. We'll dig into it. But um, Rand Scott is here. I just, I just vomited a little bit in my mouth, bro. I just saw this. Hold on. Let me see the footage. Don't do it, Mark. Don't do it. It's loading. It's loaded. They're skinny. They have skinny feet. It's worth it. Your coin holders are skyrocketing now. I can see Scott. Your sky, your coin holders are skyrocketing. Look, guys, we do have a, a serious, a serious list of topics to discuss today. Oh shit! Why don't I have a key? Oh, I do have a key. All right, cool. Um. Oh shit! It is your feet, bro. You actually posted your feet. Um. All right, man. Um. Uh, on, on that point, uh, this one, I lost my trail of thought. Uh, let's dig into it, uh, guys. On a serious, I swear, it's, it's, <laughs> I never thought I'd, I'd dislike feet that much until I saw those. But guys, look, we have an incredible panel, a very serious panel. Here we are talking about Scott's feet. Um, I, I want to dig into the, so Scott ran, uh, maybe Ryan, you can start giving us a, a quick overview. And we've got Jared here on stage and Jeremy on stage. I want to start going into the, the, these two stories, the library appealing the SEC. Hey, Mario. Um, I don't yeah, mean to interrupt, but ahead of that, since we have Eric and Chris here, should we just do a quick market update and talk about what happened sort of with Bitcoin last night before we dig into those stories as more people come in? Yeah, usually, a, usually, usually I'd say night. yes. We had we a did. bull market last night. Yeah, we had like yeah, a six-hour bull market. It was crazy. Amazing. We had a bull market. Were, were you asleep or what happened? I don't look at the markets, man, unless you guys force me to for the yeah, show. Yeah, it basically went up $1,000 and as usual... Uh, retrace the entire move. Oh yeah, I can see. I can retrace them all. Like you guys must be so depressed. Retrace it all. Um, yeah, we could do a quick market update. We just have such a great panel today, so I want to jump into the panel quickly. Um, but yeah, yeah of course, I, I meant so, to do it with Eric and Chris, by the way. Yeah, yeah of uh, course, not, of course. Not, not us. So let uh, Eric, you want to go ahead and give us your thoughts real quick, and then Chris Inks uh, on, on what we're seeing in this market, why we can't seem to sustain any sort of move, and and basically just what's going on. Yeah, sure. So as far as uh, what happened last night, it's still within the same range, uh, statistically speaking, um, that I've been posting about since about uh, the 1st of September. Um, if you actually go to my most recent uh, tweet or post or whatever the hell it's is called it nowadays. Is it just you right now? I'll bring you down and back up. Just yeah, go ahead, Eric. All good, man. All good. 
Um, yeah, so I uh, actually made a tweet about it today. Same range that's been going on for the past uh, week now. Bitcoin operating in, in within 50% of its, of its historic returns. So nothing's really changed there. Just tested the high of it yesterday, pretty much almost to the T. So um, that was an insignificant move as far as I'm concerned. And my prior analysis that I've been sharing on this um, on these spaces for the past few weeks now still is is what I'm looking at, uh, risk to the downside, the, the, you know, bear, it is, it is more likely to be bearish within this next, uh, week leading up to the 15th of September. That's the quad witching. And then after that, yeah, my model will start to switch around and show a little bit more of a bullish, um, uh, bias. But for right now, it is still risk to the downside. If there's going to be downside, highly likely it happens within this next week and namely, or most likely if it happens, it's going to be Thursday as well. So that's really all of that I have. And, uh, yeah. Chris, what do you, my mic was not working. Chris, what do you think? Does that align with what you're thinking right now? I mean, we obviously discuss this pretty regularly, but um, pretty suspect that every time we see a price move up, it's immediately smacked down. We even saw that with Grayscale, right? <laughs> Grayscale wins, massive move up, immediately back down days later. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, I, I, you know, I, I agree pretty much with what um, what was just said. Uh, the only other thing I'd like to add to that is, uh, you know, we continue to hold here at that uh, at, at last. Um, August of 2022, that mid-August swing high. Uh, you know, I've been talking for a year now that that was what we had to overcome, not just with crypto, uh, you know, that's the Bitcoin there, and then with uh, with the stock indexes as well. Um, and so we've continued to hold there. You know, we hit that again there, uh, looks like February or so, and then we finally broke through in March. We uh, dropped down in June, rallied back up, and we've been down here August and September, right around that same area. Um, the only other thing I've noticed is every time we are getting rejected there, we're getting a significant buy down at the lows um, at that support area. So um, I don't know that necessarily that I believe it has to break down. I think, though, like um, uh, the other gentleman said, uh, I do think that if it's going to happen, uh, you know, the risk is definitely still to the downside. And if it's going to happen, it's probably going to happen here pretty soon, uh, you know, next week or two. Uh, but um, overall, you know, again, I, I don't see this as bearish or anything. I see this as just a simple pullback on the larger time frames. We're still up 50 somewhat percent off uh, November of last year. And uh, so, you know, yeah, it's just continuing to do that. If, if it doesn't break down, it's going to catch the market completely off sides. Um, and people are going to be too scared to jump in until it's breaking out, you know, above 32. Uh, and at that point, you know, it's just going to feed it to rally on up in 40 if it does that. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, my take is that uh, this is just that year before the halving and nothing nothing matters. News either way or price action, then it's going to just uh, naturally start heading up soon. I, yeah. think you guys think, I think you guys are going to get your faces melted by some God candle because I think everybody's written off 2023. I keep saying it. And I think that I saw Eric's chart and Eric's chart was showing that he was talking about uh, look at the grayscale bit, uh, margin, the grayscale discount chart, and you know that there is news coming. I mean, Eric, isn't that what your chart was alluding to? Yeah, I mean, the grayscale or GBDC is uh, clearly showing a lot more of a bullish posturing than, um, well, Bitcoin, for example. So to me, that's an example of, uh, well, show me the charts and I'll tell you the news. So someone knows something, someone's making moves, and we're seeing it right now. Yeah, by the way, just to say, I, I, I don't think I'll get my face ripped off, but Chris is definitely very bullish, so I don't think he'll get his face ripped off if that happens, because we speak quite often, and uh, I know, Chris, you think that the 40s and 50s are very much in the guards before the end of this year. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, um, I, I think that's a, that's a good possibility, um, especially with everybody. You know, again, 
uh, once you go through multiple cycles across different uh, markets, you know, you, you just see the same thing repeat over and over again. And, you know, we're just, you know, we're, we're coming into a year out of the, you know, of the bear market low. People are still in disbelief. Um, and, you know, if you look at Bitcoin, we usually rally about uh, 61.8, uh, 70 and a half off the swing low uh, percent. And so that would still get us up there into those mid 40s, low 50s uh, is what we've done every time before, before we did a, a decent pullback. And then kind of, you know, did the breakout. Um, people seem to want to wait until, you know, price gets, you know, uh, to the new all-time highs before they call it a bull market. But uh, again, you know, we're, we're 50, 55 percent off uh, or above that. But then, Chris, uh, Chris, why do, why do you think we keep selling all these good news? Like we're, we're seeing, we were talking about this yesterday and a couple of days before. It's like every piece of good news. I'm talking like, you know, major, major news for the industry just gets sold off very quickly or the market barely moves. Yeah, well, um, you know, generally what you're looking at is when you get to market extremes, uh, whether they're the, you know, the highs or the lows, um, uh, but especially on the lows there, what, what you have uh, in these areas or these ranges is that you have these tests. Everything is a test, right? It's a test of supply, test of demand, depending if you're at the, you know, at the highs or the lows. Um, but what you notice is, again, that we keep getting caught at that, you know, last year's mid-August swing high, that 25, 26,000 level. Um, and that continues to, you know, to provide support. Um, we're not actually breaking down. So we're getting a rejection, but no follow through. And right now, until we see follow through, I think it's really important to make note of that. Um, you know, I, I tell our members all the time to, you know, not get overly excited and think it has to do whatever you think it has to do. What you want to do is watch the price action and watch the volume and look at where it's coming in. Um, and so, you know, we're continuing to test those lows, but demand continues to show up. And so, you know, when you're at these, um, these ambivalent stages or these areas, you know, again, where people are kind of giving up or they're just bored or disinterested, um, you know, the market doesn't continue to carry down, you know, the push through. Now, it doesn't mean it can't go down lower, but for right now, it's continuing to hold there. And until it actually breaks down, I think you do have to be wary of a potential, you know, all of a sudden a, a push higher uh, that's going to catch a lot of the market off guard. Because like I said, most people here right now in the market are thinking, OK, it has to go down. Or they're just they, they just give up. They're, I don't care anymore. I'm bored. It won't go up. Uh, I'm not even paying attention at the moment. So yeah, you know, there's a good possibility we could catch people offsides on that rally. So um, you know, you got to be careful about further downside. But uh, until then, these are just tests of of, uh, of the market down to these lows right now. Yeah, and and goes to to Ryan and Scott's point uh, yesterday or a couple of days ago is that you know similar to to the last bear market, it'd be quiet, quiet, quiet. All the good news will come. Uh, but the markets won't react, and then suddenly it just blows out, and everyone thinks it's coming out of nowhere. Uh, but it's actually all that all that good news um, uh, coming all together, and the market reacting to everything yeah. all at once. Uh, but I think Scott, we've got you know we do have Jared and Jeremy yeah, on stage. It's the time. two major stories, so I think this is what I'm excited to get into. For sure. So, so Jeremy, obviously, you guys uh, are the big news today. What I found so interesting, of course, was that. I think we can all agree that library in the first round was somewhat the sacrificial lamb of the industry. You've, you've told the story many times about how you basically, you went in and registered, you know, come in and meet with us. The SEC's old narrative, you did that and then they, they sued you. And obviously you guys lost. At that point, it seemed like you were winding down. And now obviously it comes back that you guys are appealing, which to me means you have more money and more reason to believe that you could win. So can you walk us through that a bit? Sure. Well, the most fundamental reason that we're appealing is they got it wrong. 
Uh, this decision was wrong. Uh, the way that it was found would implicate not just us, but almost any other company in the industry. And we've already seen that the SEC uh, is interested in using this ruling to go around and uh, try to beat up uh, other companies uh, and other people who didn't do anything wrong. Uh, and so to perspective the industry, uh, I think it's absolutely necessary. Uh, I'm not going to get into all the details uh, at this time as to what's allowed us uh, to think that we're committed to doing, and we think it's good for both the future of the library ecosystem uh, as well as the cryptocurrency space uh, generally. So you, you obviously think that this is a, a fight then on behalf of the entire industry because they're trying to use you as precedent is what you're saying. Basically, they you, you had the loss, but then now the SEC can go and use that and say that anything similar... Uh, is effectively, you know, an unregistered security offering or is somewhat, in some way not compliant. Yeah, well, look, I'm an honest person, so I'm not going to say that I'm doing this out of pure altruism, but I do think it is something, yeah, right, we're doing this for the interests of uh, ourselves and our users, uh, but I do think it absolutely has positive effects uh, for the industry at large to not let this case was. To reiterate it, the, the, the judge in our case said that uh, it doesn't even require communication. Uh, that simply any entity that holds tokens, uh, if you hold enough of them, and he didn't define a standard, uh, but in our case, we were found guilty of of, of small dollar sales uh, when we held around 10% of the token. So someone bought $20 worth of the token. We had evidence that they directly used it because it could be money. We're not, we're not competing with Bitcoin. We're trying to build decentralized social media and you need the token to do things like, you know, create a handle and create an identity on the network and this kind of stuff. And the judge said that even though this usage is consumptive, um, because theoretically some other person, and he couldn't point to one, but some theoretical other person might be using it non-consumptively. So therefore, even these clear consumptive purchases, clearly consumptive, people signing an affidavit, as well as blockchain evidence that it's consumptive, are still securities on and I mean and this is just crazy. Um and so you know do I want um I want cryptocurrency uh to, to work. I want cryptocurrency to be something that I can use as a United States resident. Um and so you know we think that this is is necessary to do. Jeremy, hey, um, yeah, if I could, yeah, if I could uh, speak question: to How much money? How, how much money do you think you're going to need to appeal this case with the SEC? How much money have you got? What do you intend to do for any shortfall? Just interested to understand because I mean, it seems to me like taking on the SEC is one of the hardest and most expensive fights you can take on. Uh, yeah, look, I I agree, and I I actually would advise other entrepreneurs out there if they can avoid it to uh, you know to not get in a fight with the SEC. But it just it doesn't seem like there's uh, you know another way uh, out of this uh, other than what we're doing, and we have received uh, you know we have uh, some commitments that we think are going to allow. I'm just wondering, like in your head, like we read articles that CZ put aside a billion dollars to fight legal case. I don't know if that was true or not true, and probably those articles are exaggerated. But I'm just wondering, like in your planning, and maybe don't even allude to how much you've got, but what do you think it's going to cost you? Well, I know the SEC is listening. They go around. Uh, they go around following me and listening to the things I say. So I'd rather not um, than things that I don't need to give them. But I actually think that this is not going to be. Um, uh, I, look, it's expensive. Uh, lawyers are very expensive, and, and lawyers. Uh, but it's not. I don't. I don't think it's going to be 
um, something that that we're not going to be able to handle. Um, um, it's, 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 not, it's not like it's, the first. Not like the first. Exactly. Exactly. So the so the marginal costs from here aren't um, aren't quite as large. Are you in our first round? Our first round it was um, it, it was approaching five million. Was how much we spent on, on legal fees. And how much did Ripple spend? Hundreds, right? So obviously you guys didn't have the war chest for a full fight against the SEC. Yeah, but Jeremy, uh, uh, talking about Ripple, can you just explain to the audience and to me really the basics? Like how could the decisions be so different? How could Ripple be considered not a security on secondary sales, but then you guys be considered a security? Like what are the key differences? And obviously your lawyers have probably looked into this and have given you advice. What are some basic things you can tell, uh, uh, you can explain to us? Well, the, the biggest difference is that the rule of law isn't real. Uh, so this idea that there's objective law or that these things are objective is just a completely fake notion. So what happened in the Ripple case is their judge uh, got said one thing, and in our case, another judge said another thing. These are laws. This is like, uh, you know, you have laws that govern sandwiches, and then someone invents a hot dog or someone invents, a, you know, an open-faced sandwich. It's just, it's just all arguing. There's not this, this idea that there's some objective answer that exists is ridiculous. I mean, even now you can see, you can listen to lawyers. These are supposed to be the smartest people in the world arguing about what the implications are and they don't agree with each other because it's fake, right? This idea that these things are clear, it's completely fake. You're, these are people, these are, these are shamans who are interpreting texts that are completely vague, that are completely clear. These are priests. This is not code, okay? And so the answer is, well, you hope you get different priests who find different things in the text, right? Because it's, this is, it's politics, it's not real. The law, law is not real. Okay. And this is one of the biggest things I learned. Like this idea of there being law that's objectively applied is a completely fake nation, notion. Throw all of that away if you're an entrepreneur. You can break, break the law the right way. We do have two lawyers on stage, so we'd love to get their takes right after. But Jeremy, we, we have Jared who's right next to you, and, and Jared is on the receiving end right now um, where the SEC is taking action. There's a subpoena served to Sushi, and we'll talk about that in a bit. Uh, but the question I have for you, one more question, Jeremy. Um, did you guys, so before the XRP ruling, did you guys plan to appeal if XRP won the case? So you're muted, by the way, Jeremy. And, and my question was that planned in advance of hey, you guys are like, all right, cool. If XRP wins or if XYZ happens, we're going to appeal. Or was that decision made after the XRP ruling? The XRP ruling was certainly a favorable. Like, we ever said, hey, we're going we're gonna to base it off of what happens there. Because you guys were winding down before the XRP ruling and, and uh, not sure. I, well, I, mean, I assume that means that you weren't planning to appeal. Uh, so we think that if Library Inc. has a judgment uh, against it, that it's better off that that entity, you know, that, that entity sort of becomes a damaged entity. Uh, you know, we always thought that the future of uh, the library ecosystem, the future of Odyssey, I mean, Odyssey is still being used by like around a million people each day, um, that the future of these products uh, was bright regardless. And so it was really just a question of um, where, uh, you know, to move forward is, and we now feel that uh, it is appropriate uh, for Library Inc. Uh, to continue this case. And, and talking about that paradox, Scott, like maybe we could, you could um, refresh the audience about the news we were talking about a few days ago. I think it was like last week. And it was positive rulings 
favoring DeFi. Now we're seeing the SEC take action against Sushi. Uh, maybe Scott, you can give a, a quick recap for the audience. I'm trying to remember specifically what you're talking about, but we definitely have the fact that the CFTC today, which is not the SEC, obviously has uh, effectively had judgments with three separate uh, exchanges or de decentralized exchanges for offering derivatives and leverage trading to Americans. So we're definitely seeing some uh, now an uptick there and probably more of this. But there, in, there was, in the uh, I'm referring to something, I can't remember what it was. Rand, not sure if you remember, there was some positive news we're talking about how that's great for DeFi. Um, and when I can't remember what protocol it was, it was determined to be Me decentralized. Too, my, fri my Friday. It was, it was a, it was a private, a private lawsuit where a, a judge found that the decentralized protocol wasn't an actor in the relevant way and that this was peer to peer code. And so that you would not regulate the code itself or the smart contract as a broker. And wasn't it? Yeah, Uniswap? It, it, was the, it was a class action against Uniswap. Oh, yes, yes, it was, yes, 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 it was. Yeah, yeah, of course, of yes, course, of course. Yes, yeah. Yeah. Well, well, now, well, now we're talking about SushiSwap. So maybe, Jared, you can give us a quick recap of um, uh, more about the subpoena, what it means, and, and maybe comparing to, the, to, the, uh, to Uniswap winning the class action lawsuit. Hey, can you hear me? We can. We can. Good to have you. All right. Great. Uh, just a quick point of clarity. Um, our lawsuit isn't recent. It was back in March, and there was a quite a news cycle about it, so I didn't want to um, kind of misinform the community and think that there was a new one. <laughs> it's the same one. But, um, yeah, I mean, there's not uh, – my ours is a little bit different compared to, to libraries. Um, and so like, I can't really talk about it, to be honest. Uh, we released, um, like an FAQ back in, I think it was the end of March on the sushi forum that talked about like the points that the, that, uh, I guess we're up for like public disclosure. And that's really all I can say about it. I can speak generally about like, yeah, let's see generally about it. If you if you can't obviously dig into specifically what's happening with sushi at the moment, you obviously since March, effectively everything has changed with how regulators are approaching people, who they're attacking, how they're attacking them. So, I mean, what do you think the general status right now is sort of on DeFi, I guess, specifically in the industry versus regulators? It's my feeling that we're actually starting to see things move in a better direction, that the pendulum swung a bit too far and maybe you were a victim of that. Before you answer that, before you answer that, I just want to I just want to ask if you could just add into your question. Like we had a discussion this morning, and we said there's actually no thing as DeFi because all the front ends of the DeFi protocols are actually owned are registered to people in a certain country. So, I mean, it's great that we think we're transaction transacting with a decentralized protocol, but in reality, it feels to me like there's no such DeFi because even when you think you you're you're interacting with a DeFi protocol. You're interacting with a central front end, which is registered to someone. Uh, I would I would disagree with that assertion, mainly because it depends on how what type of front end you're serving, right? So you you've got decentralized storage protocols that allow you to serve front ends. Um, are you talking about a UI front end or a command line interface or? You know, well, let's talk about like Uniswap or, or SushiSwap just as, as an example. Like, I mean, the protocol itself is decentralized, but the front end that I'm interacting with is registered to someone, isn't it? It doesn't have to be. It depends on what kind. I mean, if you're using a Web2 front end, 
Uh, and you have a UI that you've built out that you're using to port in and access the protocol there, then uh, you may have... Well, I mean, let's just be a normal user who goes onto his Google Chrome and he goes www.sushiswap. or www.uniswap. Um, I mean, that's the average user's experience of DeFi today. I mean, that's 99% of DeFi users. That's how they're using DeFi, isn't it? Actually, the majority of DeFi users are algorithmically driven. Uh, I think one of the reasons, going back to the trading uh, issues that you see, is that when things pump or you have like positive price appreciation or dumps or whatever, uh, that, that's algorithmically driven right now because the lack of retail to provide that liquidity is, is pretty much completely absent. Um, so, you know, for us, for, for and what are they are, are they connecting directly to the protocol via an API and not going through any kind of like front end, which is centrally um, traceable, so to speak? You dropped out, uh, Joe. I'm, I'm bringing him back up now. Joe, did you yeah. dropped out? I sent you an invite. I mean, while he's coming back up, if anyone does have the answer for me, because I'm, 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 I'm really confused about this whole DeFi thing, and you know, the SEC keeps suing people or subpoenaing people, and that I'm just kind of wondering, like, is there really DeFi if the interface or the entrance to DeFi is through a web two world? Yeah, Jared is back up, and that you know, Eric Voorhees did a tweet on this. Said Sushi created a legal entity to reduce liability. Don't let lawyers talk you into incorporation unless you want to be a corporation. If there's an entity, it's not a DAO. Um, so I was going to reference that that's, as well. That's, but that's Jared, really, you're back bad, on really bad advice. I just want to say if you don't have a limited liability entity created and the SEC feels like you're not following the rules, they're going to sue you personally. So yes, it's sometimes a, a weird look to have a, a Delaware C-Corp when you're claiming to be a decentralized entity, but you'd probably rather that than your name on the SEC lawsuit. I mean, limited liability protections exist for a reason. Um, I think Eric's point is coming from a purely, uh, you know, philosophical point. I, I mean, I share his libertarian views. I'm a libertarian. Um, I think practicality terms, um, the reality can look different than the philosophical view. And I think the point where we are in, in crypto is having to operate in between the practicality of, uh, of the status quo of how governments view financial products and, and this technology and, and ultimately, uh, you know, our end goal for, for what this technology, you know, the purpose for why it was, was created. And so we're in that. I mean, it really sounds like, go ahead, Jared, sorry. No, no, Scott, go ahead, sorry. I was just going to say, it really sounds like the, the answer is don't do it in the United States, right? And and we've even seen, obviously, like Antonio from DYDX sent that uh, tweet uh, last week or a couple of weeks ago saying, basically, if you're a builder in the United States, just leave, come back when you have something that's fit for purpose in five or 10 years. Yeah. And, and that's the way to do it because there are jurisdiction listen they're going to still come after you obviously if americans are using the platform etc but it seems like the big lesson here that we've learned this year which you wouldn't have known doing these things in the past is just uh, just go do it in a more friendly jurisdiction play regulatory but arbitrage scott, and get the fuck out of the u.s scott i really want to try and understand something and i'm not being facetious i'm actually really trying to understand this let's take a protocol like agmx and i'm just i'm just using agmx because there's a lot of perpetuals 
decentralized perpetuals protocols in the markets. And I, I, I'm assuming that GMX has some kind of IP blocker that won't allow US investors to participate or to, or to use the exchange. And I mean, I'm also assuming that a lot of US people have got um, VPNs and they use VPNs and they log on to the exchange and they, they, um, they use the, the exchange. Question is, in that case, who would the SEC go for? And I'm again, like, someone needs to educate me if the platform. If maybe I'm not a we, we've yet. seen this. But well, we've seen this with Central. Zach is right. He's Zach. Do you want to answer that question? Yeah, I, the, the answer is absolutely the platform. And the SEC has been very clear that if US persons are using VPNs uh, to access a protocol overseas, the fact the protocol claims to be overseas does not mean the SEC doesn't have jurisdiction. I think that's bullshit, but that is that is their viewpoint, and that's how they're going to enforce it. The only how way. How do they track the platform? How do they track the platform? This is what I'm. This is what I'm struggling to understand. Like, Bill, if it's a decentralized platform and it's owned by no one, because decentralized means it's owned by no one, then who who are they tracking down when they when they when they're sending the summons to or the subpoena to or whatever they send? Yeah, they look at who built and who operates the platform, and in some cases, there are very clear answers to that question. Whether there's officially a company behind it or not, there's a group of people, right? There's a team behind GMX, even if they're not legally incorporated and they're not docs there are people who you know would you say there's a protocol. team behind monero would you say like for example would you say there's a team behind Monero? and the reason why i'm asking is i'm trying to understand like at what point does it become so decentralized that the sec has no one to go for like yes yeah, so the, monero- answer, the answer to that question is somewhere around ethereum right the sec is kind of on the fence as to whether ethereum is sufficiently decentralized such that eth is a commodity probably the answer to that is yes but if you're less decentralized than Ethereum, like you're not safe just because you claim to be decentralized. The only thing to, they truly bar U.S. persons in a way that the SEC will leave you alone is to have whitelisted addresses, which no one wants to do because it will ruin your product. You have a very that's the completely confused view of, of regulation that implies that there that there are real standards that exist. That's not what happened. Ethereum is legal because. Uh, it was early enough and got tangled up, up enough with enough important entities that the government won't go after them. That's why it's so hilarious that despite what Ethereum did was is objectively worse. So many other com- companies did, including my own. It's legal because they played the political game correctly. It's not. Again, there is no objective standard. That is fake. You've got to throw that idea away. Uh, that's I think powerful. I think you're just you're just wrong. You're you're just wrong about that, right? And like, li- look, libraries are super important. They did an IPO. No, 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 no. Very, very clearly did things far worse than my company did. Look, I don't want them to get in trouble. I don't want anyone to get in trouble. IC- but but there's, no, there's no consistent the standard here. It all, it, no, okay. We never even did an ICO. That's what I'm saying. Why would they go after us, but not Ethereum? Because if medical tangled up with enough important entities, they had ties to the SEC. They did things in such a way politically that, look, this is the education I went through. I thought that there was objective law. That is not true. It does not exist. It's politics all the way down. I think, on I that, think you're on just, that point. Dick, yeah, let me, yeah, let me Zach, I'd love you to, to respond. That. And maybe, yeah. yeah, I would love you to respond. At, I want to add one thing to it. It's like, why didn't they take action against Ethereum's ICO? So they became decentralized after the ICO. Is it because it's too long ago? There's a certain number of yeah, years. Too, too, so the, the quick answer to the ICO was too long ago. It's past the statute of limitations now. But I think the critical thing to understand here is the legal reasoning behind why ETH is not a security is a different type of argument than in the library case. So ETH it is about, are you decentralized enough that if you're betting on ETH to go up, 
you're reliant on the managerial efforts of some particular group of people like Italic or the Ethereum Foundation in order to make that investment pay off. And at this point, the SEC seems to agree that like those efforts are not essential. In the library no, case, this the is about the the utility. Well, hold, hold on. The In the library case, this is about consumptive utility. So this is a different type of Howey argument that people are buying a digital asset not as an investment, not in the expectation of profit, but to use it. They're buying it as a consumer product for its consumptive utility. And what was important about the library case, it was the first, so back in the ICO boom, people released all sorts of quote unquote utility tokens, but the utility wasn't built out yet. It's we're raising money from you now, then we'll build something and then hopefully the token will be worth more. In the library case, there was extant utility, meaning that the token was actually usable for its stated purpose, and the SEC went after it anyway. That's why that case is so important, and why I hope you guys win on appeal. Sorry, th this is just not true. We're talking to the SEC daily. We're in negotiations with them still. This is not what they are saying behind closed doors. It's central to why we are appealing. This is just not the SEC's that's position. What the judge, the SEC that's what the judge said in the yeah. case. That, that's not what the judge said in the case either. That is not what he said. I mean, and it's, and it's, it's certainly, I mean, and, and, and anyway, this is a, this, uh, okay. And you're reading it incorrectly, but this is, this is about what the, you're, you're making claims about the SEC's behavior though, not the, the justice system. You're saying, how is the SEC behavior? The judge it, it ruled in the SEC all, in the district court. The judge is also a, a, a highly Sorry. political government official. Uh, like, that's what I'm saying. It's politics all the way down. Judges aren't objective. Judges are political appointees that are there to do political things. They're, they're not, they're, they don't, uh, there's no rule of law. They're not computer programs. Federal the judges, judges are lifetime, they're lifetime appointees. They're lifetime, lifetime appointees political appointees. Lifetime. And it's fake. That doesn't work. That's what I'm saying. It's fake that this is a pretend thing we are taught. It is not true. It is all a lie. Listen, this is, this is, in fact, a very nuanced question. I'm not sure you're serving the protocol. Look, it's really important for our industry that you win. I think calling judges fake is not the type of behavior that's more likely to have you guys prevail in the Court of Appeals. Uh, Zach, I've got a question. You're admitting you that's an admission that I am right. If a judge, if a judge would consider that I called him fake in, call, in, in calls and admission that it's fake. Thank you for agreeing with me. But Jeremy, would you say would you say there's just people being people? So like the, the legal system is there, there's a system, but it's still run by people, and those people could be emotional, could make emotional decisions, could have egos that are hurt. So it's like then, a mix then, of two. Right, like a, let's, a system. Let's say that. But let, let's not teach. Right. Like I was taught all these things about laws existing and judges calling ball and strikes. Let's not. Let's say it's all people. People can't be logical and consistent. It's all about it's all about politics. It's all about getting people to like you or playing political games, carrying favor behind scenes, bribes, forming connections. That's how the law works, even in the United States. That's how the law works I'm, everywhere. So let's not pretend otherwise. And I'm and I'm gonna do you a favor because you said the SEC is listening to you the whole time. The SEC just a message for you, like Jeremy. What you're hearing from Jeremy now is just his frustration. He's just angry with the way you've handled crypto. So <laughs> don't don't take that into consideration in the court. I think everyone at the SEC is a sociopath. I think they're evil people. I think people should, if you mean an SEC official, you should treat them like a rapist or someone who abuses children. You should have disdain Listen, for these I, people. I'm sure, you you're, I'm sure your lawyers. I'm sure your I lawyers agree. would not appreciate you talking like this in public. This I'll go. Really I'll go. Look what I'm. Go, I'm gonna. What? I'm gonna jump in. Yeah, I thought there was a rule of law. 
I've got a, I've got a quick question for you guys, and and Jared, that kind of links back to you. Is that in the article by Decrypt um, covering the story, which I know it's it's, it's not uh, it didn't happen today, but they talk about one of your DAO members, Test One, and they were wondering if the SEC sent the subpoena directly to you uh, in order to bring enforcement action against the DAO itself, because such groups I'm going to read out exactly such groups typically operate without a centralized entity and prioritizes a flat government structure, governance structure using smart contracts. In other words, that you personally, I know you can't probably comment on it specifically. Maybe a general comment would be good. Maybe getting Carlos and Zach's thoughts on it as well. But are DAOs should any any DAO members be worried? Uh, like when do you, then when do we consider decentralized autonomous organizations as decentralized? <clears throat> um, yeah, that's a great question. I think there's a lot, of, a lot to it. Absolutely loaded. Um, the first part of that, of whether or not I think that uh, anyone in any DAOs a- anywhere, um, look, the SEC, any any government regulator, as far as I know, and I'm not an attorney, um, can subpoena anyone. And if you're a U.S. citizen like I am then you're more likely to receive a subpoena. Uh, you know, just kind of, again, as the status quo. I think... Um, I, I still, yeah. I, I, I still want to get to the... I want to get to the bottom of, like, at what point does the SEC really have no one to go for? Like, I, I, I just... You know, otherwise, to, to me, there's no such thing as DeFi. Like, we're playing in this field. We think... We're all decentralized and we're trading on these decentralized exchanges. There's nothing different between this Rand, and corporation. Really quickly, Jared, sorry to interrupt, but it, I just want to point something out really quickly. Rand, if you looked into the story of the CFTC today, they went after Open, Open Inc., Zero X, and Deridex. And Zero X. Right, right. But what I found the most interesting actually was that uh, Coindesk reached out, I believe it was Coindesk, to all three for comment, and they could not find someone at Deridex to offer a comment because they couldn't literally find who it was or what they were doing. Yeah. So th- this is, this is again, what I'm, what I'm trying to get to. Surely there is, uh, either we all agree that this thing that we call DeFi at the moment is actually not DeFi at all. And there's nothing decentralized about it because it's maintained by teams, which are very easy to, to get information from, or we say there is DeFi and this is what DeFi looks like. And, yeah. and say, if the SEC does want to go for it or, or the CFTC does want to go for it, I suspect, and Scott, I may be wrong, but I suspect that the reason why they went for no one is because that protocol's probably ran out of money in closed. And I don't know. I, I don't want to yeah. spare this information. I'm saying that could be what happened. Easy no, but, you know, but, but guys, guys, but we're trying to answer the most difficult yeah. question is like, when is it, when is something decentralized yeah. enough? I think it's not right. about, I just don't think it's black and white. I think that's the problem. I think that people get caught up in centralized versus decentralized and it's always a sliding scale and there's a ton of gray <laughs> in between. Because You're saying other than the, the, Bitcoin, ETH, Monero, maybe Bitcoin, ETH, Monero, maybe I don't know, Litecoin, maybe Doge, which are all, by the way, mo- most of those are proof of work. Um, but they're coins, so, so they're not is, platforms. There, there they're is coins, specific, not platforms. From a securities law perspective, there is a specific answer to this question, right? A platform is sufficiently decentralized that the token is no longer a security if when someone is buying the token and expecting a profit from the token, 
they cannot reasonably rely on the efforts of any particular party, right? So take Bitcoin, for example. If you're buying Bitcoin based Ethan on Vitalik? your thesis, Ethan Vitalik? Yeah, I, Ethan Vitalik? I think, I think ETH is also not a security. I think that you're not essentially reliant on Vitalik's efforts at this point for number to go up on you're reliant on the ETH fund are you reliant on the ETH Foundation's efforts on consensus's efforts yeah I don't think ETH is a security but like you know you go one step beyond that I think like Cardano probably is and XRP probably is is BNB a security I would think yes I would think if you're betting on BNB it's you're reliant on Binance being successful and CZ being successful so and what if, we if say, Binance goes so away I just, wanna, I just want to be clear I just want to be clear before I hand in my letter of resignation at crypto banter because maybe this is not actually worth fighting for. But I just want to be clear: we're saying in this whole industry, this whole movement, which which is was built and designed to become decentralized and uh, disintermediate centralized intermediaries. We have two tokens and maybe a third that are decentralized and yeah. But Rand, I'm going to jump in here because I think there's just a clear disconnect between how you view a protocol being decentralized and how you view a token being decentralized. Ryan, you got a hot mic. Uh, Ryan, you got a hot mic. Jared, go ahead. So, Jared, Jared you said you're echoing what Scott yeah, says, that you cannot treat a token. Exactly right. You're, exactly. You can't say Ethereum, Bitcoin, Doge. Those are coins, right? It's very much more difficult for someone to start, let's call it, whatever it is, whether it's centralized or decentralized, start a company, a protocol, something that people are using to trade these coins or to, you know, for, for loans and all these things without it and find it to be 100% decentralized. But like that, like I said, it's not black and black and white, you, there, it's an infinite regress of logic to say that something is not decentralized, right? Because even if you solve all these problems Rand's talking about, you end up on an Amazon web server, right? And so like, it doesn't mean that DeFi isn't real. It just means we have to be realistic. There are always going to be uh, pain points where things have to rely on centralized platforms or centralized you know, companies to but make it work, but that doesn't, make, it doesn't mean we don't try. Hold on a second, Scott, I'm just trying to understand. The reason why we want things to be decentralized is because we want to be able to do whatever we want to do. I, I use the word whatever, you know, in, in, in the legal sense of, of the word. When we want to do it without centralized intermediaries, we also do it because we want to be we want to maintain some kind of pseudo anonymity through through, you know, using our addresses versus using our uh, um you know, uh, real identities. That That's why I want a decentralized world. And we also don't want, don't want governments to be able to intervene and sway, you know, the and, and pressure the protocols to either service us or not service us, et cetera. But if you're like Tornado Cash, let me, I think Tornado Cash is probably the best example of all of them. So Tornado Cash, as far as I understand, the devs actually destroyed the keys and had no access to the protocol. Okay, so that's the that's that's the that's the, the, the way that I the way that I understand Tornado Cash. But the front end was hosted on a centralized uh, 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 server, and therefore, once the US attacked Tornado Cash, there was very I mean there were ways to do it, and my team actually worked out some ways to do it. But to the average user, that would have been impossible to be able to do, like to to connect to, into the protocol, you know, not using not using a front end. I mean, 99.99999% people could never do that. So Tornado Cash is a separate issue, right? What we were talking about before is, is something decentralized enough that it's not a security? That's a very high bar. But then there's a separate question of, is something 
uh, non-custodial enough or peer-to-peer enough that it's not a money transmitter. And that's really what's issue in these DeFi protocols and the Tornado Cash case. And that honestly is the thing we should all be more focused on. And I think the bar is lower there, right? Like at least the guidance that we seem to have before that's getting challenged, unfortunately, in this SushiSwap case is if it is truly just code, if it's peer-to-peer and there's not an intermediary that has control of money, that money transmitter laws don't apply that you don't need to go get licenses in KYC, everyone. And that is the precedent, I think, that we're fighting for, which is separate than the securities law question, which is really the more important question for freedom on the internet. That's, yeah, that's a really interesting, I think, take on it. And that's what I'm kind of, the point is that decentralization or DeFi can't just be a catch-all, right? There's so much nuance here and every single platform is sort of approaching it differently uh, than each. Uh, Dave Weisberg, I saw you had your hand up. I don't know if you had a comment there. Yeah, I was actually going to say something very similar. I think that that, well, in securities law or with the with the CFTC, I think the issue is: Are you in the flow of money? Uh, is the code in the flow of money? And if so, uh, who gets that money? So, if you're talking about an exchange where there you're paying a fee that the exchange, you know, the the people who wrote the code are collecting because they have access to that smart wallet. Those are the people who they're going to come after if it's U.S. investors. And in the case of the CFTC, are they offering uh, peer-to-peer trading in derivatives? Uh, If it's pure peer-to-peer and, you know, they're not taking a fee, uh, as part of uh, as part of the the contract, uh, I think that will be very difficult for the CFTC to do anything. But if they are taking a fee, then there's some human taking that fee for enabling person U.S. person X and U.S. person Y to transact with each other in a derivatives exchange. Uh, yeah, I mean, one could argue that that is that that is an issue. So I I, I think that that is a a very important point, and I think it's very similar to what the last speaker was saying. Yeah, I've got a question for you, Dave, and and, uh, I know Bruce is up here as well. You know, Jeremy was pretty passionate. Obviously, Jeremy is in the midst of all this, and, and, uh, um, you know, now they're they're appealing the SEC, uh, the the, the ACC winning the case against them. So my question to you is that he was very passionate about the corruption in the legal system, and that's something we discussed briefly. But I want to really ask you, I want to get more perspectives on this. How now you're about to get Bruce started. Concern? You're about to get Bruce started. I mean, you know what you're doing here, Mario. You, you are calculated in what you're doing here, right? In a way, but I genuinely wanted to ask a question because Jeremy's passion, like Jeremy's been on stage many times, he's always been very calm, very calculated, you know, talked about different things. But the way he started, you know, you know, he he was very aggressive against the SEC and said some some pretty um uh, pretty pretty uh serious allegations. And Zach even jumped in and said, look, Jeremy, I think, you know, best not to say these in a public forum. Zach and said, the, as the, your lawyer. <laughs> yeah, and, but the reason I want to bring them up is... He is, said is, what everybody... He said he just had the guts to say what everybody else already knows. He's just... I don't know that, but Ren, Ren, I don't, I don't know that. That's what I mean. Like, I'm in the middle. I like, I generally don't think the SEC is that bad. I think there's corruption there. Uh, I, I'm definitely not on the Bruce camp, and I'm not on the on the John Reed Stark camp. Like, I'm somewhere in the middle, and I know it's pretty vanilla to say, but that's generally well, the truth. Can, can, I, can I answer your question, Mario, because I've gone through this a bunch. I mean, look, I don't believe it's corruption. I I do, however, believe that there's institutional bias. Before this administration, the SEC operated, and this is going to sound bad, but I don't mean it to be bad. They operated in a situation where they thought something was wrong. Uh, Once they had that thought in their head, almost every firm that was on the other side uh, found it better to settle, admit no wrongdoing, and move on. Because the expense of fighting the, the the action 
was going to be more than the fine in 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 most cases and if you lost then you paid twice and in fact you lose if you're a firm you operate you know i look i work for big firms right you know i was a city group and there were at least two different places where we settled where i violently believed we were in the right uh and 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 i'm pretty sure we would have won but it wouldn't have mattered it's called a pyrrhic victory if you spend 10 million dollars fighting a lawsuit and you end up paying a five hundred thousand dollar fine instead which is better and the answer is it's better to pay the five hundred thousand dollar fine and move on and so the sec has operated in that that has been for years so if anyone in the sec has something that they think on a technical violation they could go after it and in fact it turns out to be a pretty good funding source for them although they don't actually keep the money it goes to treasury the fact is it tends to be profitable and everyone kind of just assumes it's the cost of doing business it is however when you weaponize it against small firms in the in in, in crypto it has taken a dark turn and i think that's what jeremy is reacting to he's reacting to the fact that it's not citigroup anymore now you're talking about a firm who, who where it's an existential risk they've destroyed they've destroyed his company dave like whether they're in the right or wrong that, they've destroyed his that, company. that's right and that's the point the point is regulation and and people don't understand this and this is this is where i'm, I'm about to tee off bruce where we i know he's going to agree with me regulation use like this is a tool for big companies to keep small companies from competing and we should always remember and politicians should always remember that small company is the engine of growth in society and so when you it can weaponize the sec and until this administration big companies kind of liked it because after all you know it's uh yeah I, if i could afford to pay you know what two billion dollars a year in fines or i'm going to have to pay a hundred million to compete with all these firms that are going to make it, it's going to be much harder on them i'd prefer to pay two million in fines i mean I, you know it's just it's just pure economics but this administration has taken it to a different level because now in addition to destroying companies like jeremy's uh they're in lawsuits with all the big boys and it's getting worse and worse and worse because they're trying to implement a different agenda. And it's hard for me to to understand because the behaviors are different. This this administration is being is about to be in lawsuits with all the private equity titans of the world, all the big market making and and trading firms of the world, the big asset managers of the world, uh, and the big banks of the world over it's, various it, market it, structure it's, it's, and everything else. David, and I want to jump into Zach on this one. It's different, but it's also sad. Like it needed to be this different. We needed the incumbents, the 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 the, the herd to come into the space for the SEC to start to slowly ease off, hopefully to ease off. But when the, the space was trying to innovate, the companies like Library trying to do the right thing, the SEC did the opposite of what we wanted it to do. And Zach, I wanted to look, this is a narrative that has always been the same narrative in our spaces. And most speakers, almost all of them agree that there is an agenda to the SEC. But I do want, you know, John Reed Stark is one of the few speakers that kind of disputed that. Um, Zach, is, do you have a different take to this? Like, Is it true? Like, Do we just treat it as fact now? Like, the SEC has an agenda. They're not yeah. just trying to do the right thing. I mean, look, the SEC does have an agenda. I think primarily its agenda is, A, it wants to be the prime regulator of crypto as opposed to the CFTC. And it seems like Gary Gensler is actually hostile towards the industry as a whole and doesn't see it as producing a lot of things of value. And they've very publicly staked out in all of these cases, including library, a very, very strict interpretation of how the Howey test applies to things. And so there are two paths forward if we're going to have to deal with that. I don't think that you can come to the SEC honestly in good faith and try and register. There's no path to register, right? They disingenuously say, you know, these things are crypto securities, and but there's no infrastructure really for crypto securities. There's not a path forward there. So either we need new legislation, right? We need Congress to step in and make new rules that apply to crypto. That would be 
you know, my first choice. That would be really good for the industry. And we've seen very good bills by Cynthia Lummis and Kirsten Gillibrand uh, and out of Don Byer in Virginia. Like those are pretty good crypto bills. The problem is there's not a lot of uh, legislative push behind that right now, or we can win in the courts. And so that's what we're trying to do now. Right. And there are really important cases out here. You know, the library case about, you know, where the line is for consumptive utility versus being an investment vehicle. The sushi swap case that you talked about in terms of who's a money transmitter. You know, when is something truly peer to peer versus when are you providing services by writing code? Uh, and until we get the legislation we need, I don't think that like interfacing with the SEC is going to be the right path forward because they're very clear. But what they want to do, the industry, we need to actually beat them in court. And Bruce, I want to go to you. This way, like what Zach just explained, I think he's articulated it pretty well. But it also shows the beauty of the U.S. system, as much as as many of us like to criticize it. Is that you've got the SEC, you've got um, an organization that has a certain agenda, that has a certain view of an industry. But then there's other checks and balances. You've got the courts that are seemingly doing the right thing. You've got Congress is passing bills that are more crypto friendly, mostly bills that are crypto friendly. Um, so there's, you know, the system is not all dependent. Power is not all centralized within the SEC. So I'd love to get your thoughts on this, Bruce and Carlo. And of course, I want to go to Eleanor afterwards as well. Yeah, I mean, uh, it, it is good that we have checks and balances. We still have some kind of freedoms in this country. But but I agree with Jeremy that the the um, you know the courts are very corrupt as well. You know, it, it is political appointed appointments. I, I think lawyers have a combination of you know, maybe because it's their industry, they just really, really want to believe in it. They want to believe the stuff they learned as young law, law students, like, you know, Constitution and America and, and it's right and it's justice. And, you know, it's part of the identity for lawyers, you know, that, you know, justice is blind and, you know, all these things w without relying on that, the entire fantasy collapses. And and, and unfortunately, that that's I think Jeremy is right. It is a fantasy. You know, the judges are corrupt. The judges, even the ones that aren't corrupt, they're just as much midwits as everybody else. Else. They believe the same nonsense that the propaganda and the media says about all kinds of different topics. And there's all kinds of different, uh, you know, court cases where it shows that the judges, you know, just don't have a clue. I, you know, I think the people, you know, as far as like whether it's corrupt or not, you know, there's sort of three camps. There's people who are part of it who obviously, you know, pretend it's not corrupt. There's people who don't know how it works. And then there's people who do know how it works and they're afraid to say so. So so it's like pretty much every single CEO and lawyer that I know behind the scenes says the same stuff Jeremy says. You know, the only people who I, who are out there saying, oh, they're not corrupt. Those are those are just um, people who are afraid. You know, they, they, people are afraid to say that these guys are corrupt, but they're clearly, clearly corrupt. Gensler is absolutely completely and totally corrupt he was he was partnering up with sam he had he sam had sam bankman fried had unprecedented access to him he let him into the his office he's friends with his lawyer sam's lawyer was also gensler's lawyer gensler uh is friends with with caroline ellison's dad i mean he is a corrupt bad actor and if the sec people are listening like jeremy said why don't you guys clean up your own house why don't you guys Bruce, go bring an on, action Bruce, against Bruce. your own scammer who's in charge? Why don't you clean up the industry like you say? If there really is SEC people on there, why don't you do something about it? Why don't you go clean up your own industry, clean up your own house, instead of wrecking one of the greatest Bruce. job creation innovation engines in the world? Bruce, I mean, I, I think I, I mean it's pretty obvious at this stage that you know the SEC is corrupt and motivated by by things other than than what's right and what's wrong. But I think the one the one faculty that actually has come to our rescue actually has been the courts. You know, uh, XRP, R Ripple, Ripple SEC, Grayscale, 
Um, you know, even Uniswap thing. Like, I, 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 I want to look. I'm not, I'm not American. I want to say that I, I think what, one thing I've learned now is that anything to do with a government organization, whether it starts with FDA or SEC, any three-letter um, three-letter uh, organization that is in the U.S. is probably one of the most corrupt organizations in the world. But it seems to me like when it, when things do go to court, something happens. You know, like like every time we get to court, not every time, but a lot of the times when we get to court, right prevails over wrong. Am I, am I right? Yeah, I think the courts have done well. And I think, Rand, you make a good point. I think it's one thing to rail against the SEC, but it's a different to rail against the judicial system, which I think largely, I'm, I'm sure there's problems. I'm sure there's political sides to it. As Jeremy said, nothing's perfect. But I mean, the court system has largely, as of late, certainly gotten these things right. They have. I don't think there's any reason to be railing against the court system when the, the decisions that we wanted to see with very, very rational decisions from judges, very coherent, clear, that they understand exactly what they're, you know, uh, what they're judging. I, I think we should applaud that for now. I don't, can't say that won't change. I can't say the judicial system doesn't get things right, but find me a better place or to offer this check and balance to the SEC. And by the way, to be clear, just to bring this full circle, the CFTC, one of the biggest pieces of news we had today was that the CFTC went after these three pro, uh, protocols. They offered them small fines. But once again, we have basically the CFTC or a regulator, not the SEC, saying we're going to regulate by enforcement against these platforms. They're not necessarily admitting guilt, but they're going to pay the fine. And now we have some sort of, I, I, don't, I dare not call it precedent from a legal term, to stop these things in general. That seems to me to be the overriding tactic here of all of them is go after low hanging fruit to some degree, but also a couple big names here and there, which then stops everyone else from even trying those things, whether those people were guilty or not. Go after Kim Kardashian, influencers are scared. Go after a huge DeFi protocol, nobody will build DeFi, right? Go after a huge exchange, no exchange will dare try to launch in the United States. I think that's really the tactic. Yeah, that's that's true. I mean, I, I hopefully this this regulation by enforcement will backfire and will I mean, it'd be great if we had just a stack of legal victories that kind of clarify it. You know, the industry has been looking for clarity. I, You know, I do push back a little bit on the idea of, you know, we need new rules. People have been uh, saying this for almost 10 years now. And, and I remember, you know, there was hearings, people came up and said to the regulators, we want to be regulated. We need rules. We need the clarity. And I think that's a mistake because those rules tend to be bad. Um, you know, even the, the you know, the Loomis Gillibrand bill, I mean, that just adds a bunch of bureaucracy, nanny state nonsense. What we need is we don't need less uh, you know, we don't need more rules. We need less rules. We need we need uh, we need less regulation. We need less nanny state bureaucrats in our in our business. Um, I see Dan yeah, down I there would say uh, that laughing if you, if at they, this. I guess you must think that it's, it's good to have more uh, <laughs> more. I'd love to have him. I'd love to have him explain why. Have him come up if he if he thinks Go it's fun. I'm here. You think we need, uh, we need more? Uh, he, uh, maybe his contention is we need more rules. I mean, 
the, the system is a complete and total disaster right now. I mean, for all the reasons Jeremy mentioned, we shouldn't be sitting here obsessing about is something a security or not based on rules that were written by people whose whose parents, uh, you know, went to school on a horseback. Uh, it shouldn't matter whether you're security. Jeremy shouldn't have had to waste five years and five million dollars with the SEC. We should just say, sure, securities are great. They're a wonderful wealth creation vehicle. Things like equities are some of the you know most brilliant economic inventions in the history of economics. Let them work and let the market decide what they're worth. That's it. That's all you need to I do. Mean, you don't need nanny state bureaucrats in here well, having Donna, a bunch Bruce, of rules that are going to be outdated. Bruce, that's that's true, but you need new legislation for us to not have to talk about. 80 year old court cases, right? That but is what, the but why, why does it need to be new rules? Why not just because have something there are that, that strikes out crypto. these old antiquated 85 year old rules? But there are bad actors. We need it to change. Right. That's so what I'm saying. Re repealing stuff, deleting laws is the solution, not not more sure, nanny-state bureaucracy. But, but Bruce, it requires new legislation to delete that. Yeah, but you, you like said we, we you did. like the Gillibrand bill. The Gillibrand bill has, have you read it? It has all kinds of, I'm sure you have, it has all kinds yeah. of new positions and you got to get this checked and you got to file this form. And you got to have this overseer over here in this board and this group. It's creating a bunch of nanny-state bureaucracy. We don't need I, any I of it. I would love I would love a libertarian free for all. I just don't think that's what's going to get through Congress. And I would rather. Oh, yeah, but this is the problem. The oh, well, we can't have a libertarian thing. So let's just make more bureaucracy and more piles on of more junk. We don't need more junk. It doesn't well, do anything. Let's good. take whatever steps in the right direction we can. But it's not the right direction to add more nanny state bureaucracy. That's the wrong direction. That's exactly why we're in this situation, because people did exactly what you did 85 years ago. Nanny state bureaucrats sat around in some fancy office and said, I know what we need to do. We need more clarity and more regulation. Yeah, clear. yeah. I definitely think we, we get to your point. Don, I just want to give Donna a chance to uh, respond quickly. Yeah, the, the reality for me and for other people is that if crypto was full of good actors and we had seen continued progress without people pulling rugs, doing the wrong thing over and over and over again, everybody is a capitalist when it affects other people and a socialist when it affects themselves. And the reality at this point is that crypto has been full of bad actors over and over. Fix your house first unless you don't want to be regulated. It's super simple. I mean, it, it, look, let's face uh, it. There, there are always bad actors, guys. You know, whenever yeah. there's pots of money, people always go after it. And while, you know, it, it, look, there's clear, if you're a libertarian and, and, and nanny state stuff, I, look, I agree in philosophy, but at the end of the day, there are bad actors. And to say there aren't, it's the same people who want to defund the police. The fact is, Fraud is what they should go after. Now, do I think that the SEC should spend 90% of their budget going after technical violations and not fraud? Of course not. Do I think that fraud should be, there should be serious looking at it? Do I think that information should be required to be accurate? Do I think that misleading claims should be prosecuted against? Yeah, actually, I do. Now, does that mean that we need a whole nanny state bureaucracy? Actually, I think you could do it, do it with a lot less. With the current budget is probably much bigger than it needs to be to do what they actually need to do. But the truth is, is that in crypto, the current rules literally are completely unworkable. And so there's no way well, not for even not for it. fraud. Right. Here's where Bruce is right. You don't need new laws to go after people that are actively engaged. Oh, that's fraud. true. Just use yeah, the fraud yeah no, that's true. But but look, look, look at FTX, for example. Right. You know, they were Bruce. I, I wouldn't phrase it the way Bruce did, but but he's not wrong. Uh, the fact of the matter is we had this huge behemoth 
that was you know putting names on stadiums and everybody thought they were too big to fail because they were in with all the politicians and at the whole time they were stealing money you know there the fact that there was never investigations or audits is ridiculous it's absolutely ridiculous and and people you know you talk to normies you know my brother's an is a financial advisor the first question that got asked for, for six months after ftx is how the hell could something so big have not been investigated? How could nobody know they were betting client money? That, that that's, that's a very important question. There would be hundreds you know, when of those. Madoff happened, it was the same problem. Yeah, I, I'm not. Yeah, exactly. I think there should be some regulation and there should be some enforcement. And all that those of us who argue for new rules are, they should damn apply. I don't think we need excessive intermediation. There's at least two levels of intermediation that that crypto can potentially get rid of. And getting rid of intermediation, by the way, gets rid of potential bad actors, right? Because there's are extra people who are extracting economic rent. So the, the point isn't that we want this huge new bureaucracy, Bruce. The point is what we actually want is less bureaucracy, but clearer rules. Because vagueness, opacity, is how bureaucracies grow. And right now, the rules are clear as mud. And there is no, no forget clarity. There's no clarity. There's also no way to, for them to even function. And so the key point here is opacity allows that nanny state to grow unchecked. Clarity actually is what decreases it. And I'll stop my rant now. I think the clarity can be you're allowed to do, you know, have freedom. I mean, the, the system worked much better before we had a, a lot of the rules, probably 90% of the rules are from the last 20 years. You know, the system worked quite well without them, you know, and and I, I think, I, I just think that, you know, new bills like this Lummis bill, I mean, I like Senator Lummis. I think she's great. She has libertarian leanings, but the bill is terrible. It just adds more bureaucracy. We need bills. The bills that I would like to support are ones that delete stuff, something that says this is no longer a law. Get rid of this thing from 1934, 1935, and 1941, and all these antiquated things. Those are the kind of bills we need, not new bills that add add 80 pages of new stuff and new bureaucracy and new things that the Jeremy's of the world have to comply with. You know, and that's what most of these efforts have been done. Most of these uh, lobbyist groups, industry groups, which, by the way, just for anybody listening, a lot of those are scams. You know, these industry groups that are these so-called pro-crypto PACs, they donated to people like, um, you know, Maggie Haslin, who was the person I ran against up here in New Hampshire, who has a 98 percent similar record to Elizabeth Warren. So you had me versus uh, somebody with a 98 percent similar record to, to Elizabeth Warren. And, and the, the person with the Elizabeth Warren clone record got five million dollars from a so-called pro crypto pack. Not everybody's going to agree with me. Not everybody likes me. I get that. But there's no person on planet Earth who can look at me versus Elizabeth Warren and think that of the two of us, she's more pro-crypto. That's just not reality. So there's a lot of scams in this whole thing. There's a lot of stuff that's just designed to create a bigger and bigger bureaucracy. What's so bad about freedom? What is so scary about freedom? Just let people buy what they want, uh, have good protections for fraud and things like hacking, which, by the way, I mean, how weird is it now that if you if you don't dot an eye on a piece of paper, you could face jail. But if you go and, and, and hack somebody for five million dollars, it's probably not even going to be investigated. I mean, I know clients and people who have called the FBI and said, hey, I've been hacked out of a million dollars. FBI pretty much it's it's like, oh, my car was broken in San Francisco. They're like, oh, oh well, sucks for you. Yet meanwhile, they'll chase people to the ends of the earth for not doing paperwork. That's just a fundamental 
fundamentally broken system. We should focus on actual theft and actual fraud and leave everybody else alone. Let them do what they want. Markets aren't that scary. Let the market work and let people do what they want. Tear down all of these stupid rules because they're going to come down one way or another. It's just a matter of whether the United States collapses first or not. Carlo, what is, Carlo you have had your hand up for a while. Go ahead. Yeah, look, I think what we're seeing here is we're seeing co-equal branches of government doing what they're supposed to do as intended by the framers. We have the legislative branch trying to bring regulatory clarity because they clearly see that this practice of enforcement by regulation is failing the industry and it's failing the players in the industry. Jeremy's frustration is uh, evidence of that. Um, as well as other people who have openly commented about what's going on here. I also think that we have the judicial branch, which is doing its job, which is intervening and is making rulings in these court cases. And I have to agree wholeheartedly, these rulings have been very consistent with the rule of law and precedent. And I think the courts are approaching this in a very measured way. And I'm grateful that we have the courts to intervene because what we have is we have the other branch of government, the executive branch, which through its regulatory enforcement practices is trying to stake a claim on new technology based on old precedent and trying to aggressively regulate this new sector based on these old precedents. And we can clearly see that this is having very destructive consequences for the entire crypto sector. So I think we need to trust the system I think we need to trust the judges that they are going to prudently review these cases. Because remember one thing about federal judges, yes, they're politically appointed because they come through Congress and they come through the political process, but they are appointed for life. And they are very well aware that their decisions will be scrutinized on appeal. And having done this for a long time, I know that federal judges, when they write their opinions, give very careful consideration to how it's going to be viewed on appeal. And that has always been a check on what judges do. I don't think judges inherently allow personal bias to in any way influence their decisions because they know their decisions will be broadly scrutinized. David Silver, we got uh, our full team of lawyers up here. I mean, where do you stand on this? I just joined like two seconds ago. Ask me a question and I can articulate a point that's probably wrong that quickly. Well, then uh, we'll just uh, keep moving on from there and come back around because I do want to talk about this FBI and DCG situation that we're seeing. I mean, Grayscale, Genesis, DCG, the amount of news or stories that we've seen around them in the last few days has been absolutely astounding. Basically, Genesis suing DCG, who is their own parent company, for hundreds of millions of dollars after their bankruptcy. Genesis winding down their institutional OTC desk, which I did not know still existed after the bankruptcy. Now the Winklevi, basically their comments about Barry Silbert's actions leading the FBI to investigate DCG. And then, of course, amongst all that, we have Grayscale and GPTC pushing for conversion to an ETF. The amount of... Uh, but our stories around DCG here is absurd. I, I would love the uh, the panel's takes on, on what's happening now here with DCG, specifically if there's any wrongdoing potentially and the criminal action could be uh, coming down the pipe. Maybe nobody uh, wants to dare, dare talk about that besides, besides me. Rand, have you looked into this deeply? Am I alone? <laughs> I'll jump in for one. I'll jump in for one second. <laughs> I'll, I'll, help out, I'll help out a little bit. You know, the interesting thing to me on the 
DCG and the Winklevoss twins. It's almost like 2017 with the ICOs. Aren't we late to the game here? Like, why is the FBI? I mean, the Winklevoss didn't hold back, you know, when they alleged that, you know, Barry was committing fraudulent acts, that Barry was lying. You know, where were they before the investors got hurt? Like, you know, this is like things people ask me all the time now, like, where is the settlement agreement with Gemini and, you know, what's going on with Earn? You know, it's the point is, yeah, so the FBI is investigating. The Winklevoss already put this out publicly. They already did this. Why are we so late to the game? And why aren't the people, why aren't the FBI doing this? Where's the proactive uh, aspect of the investigation. Where are where are the regulators doing their job proactively? Not same doing Coinbase years group. later. Same place they were with FTX, having lunch with Gary Gensler, my friend. Exactly. I mean, like the Winklevoss twins did someone a tremendous favor. They 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 did the community a favor. If you're going to believe the Winklevoss, which I do in this particular instance, they put out there that this was a fraudulent that they were people were misled. This should have been years ago, not today. I mean, it's it's just sad that, you know, some someone that's looking to buck up is going to solve this problem after the barnyard animals have left the gate. I'm going to try and speak New Hampshire for Bruce. Yeah, Ram, were you just trying to make a comment? I was saying they were there with, uh, get, with the same place they were with, with uh, Gary Gensler, the same place they were with SBF. That's the only comment. Yeah, but I mean, we have obviously the big story being that the DOJ may come down on Binance down the road. And we've heard plenty of narratives now with time that uh, the same could be said for DCG down the road. So here, let me ask this in in a different way. What do you think the implications would be if DCG actually uh, had any legal action coming against them for the market? Would, Would this be meaningful or has it wound down enough that it wouldn't be a huge deal? I mean, what do you guys think, Rand? I don't know if you can compare. You, you can compare the two. Like, I think DCG and, and, and the, the. I think the magnitude of DCG is ninety nine percent already priced in, and I think, like, I, I don't think that they could find enough to close DCG down. Made you know, hit them over the knuckles. I think with CZ and Binance. It's like a different case. It's like they, they're looking for something much bigger, like money laundering and shit like that. It's very different. At the end of the day, I'm going to agree with Rand, which I hate to do. It's the Coinbase versus Binance. They're very different issues. You know, if the FBI is investigating Barry or DCG for, and especially if it bleeds into grayscale somehow, I mean, dear God, I mean, it's at the end of the day, like, you know, I just don't think that... We're talking about, I think there's a difference between guys who use large companies who use really good lawyers and who protect themselves legally to do something legally and be challenged on the legal side of something, a la Coinbase, versus what the accusations against Binance are, where they're being accused of money laundering and fraud. I hope, and I, I have no inside knowledge, I hope Barry is not on the fraud side. I hope he's on the Coinbase side where we're talking legal issues. And whether lawyers, expensive lawyers, and Barry maybe bent the law, maybe did something. But I'm hoping these are questions of law, not questions of money laundering and fraud. Yeah, I mean, I don't have the thread pulled up now, but one of our regular guests, Andrew Abiabicus, uh, did kind of a long thread, uh, or at least a, a tweet, outlining all of the sort of uh, things that uh, are alleged here against DCG, and he sort of ended it, uh, not to quote it exactly, but incest or fraud, you know, be, being the question. 
because they obviously knew 3AC was winding down, they knew Genesis was winding down, FTX, all these in advance. During that time, they took loans from their own companies. They bought back GBTC. Just a lot of very sort of, whether illegal, I have no idea, but questionable activity within the organization at times when, uh, you know, they probably had knowledge of what was happening in the industry and and others didn't. I mean, you know, David, I know you can't speak on it specifically, but if they know that Genesis is winding down into bankruptcy, which they did, it's their company, and then take a massive multi-hundred million dollar loan from that company that they know is going bankrupt and winding down. And that loan's interest doesn't have to be paid at all until the entire term and the entire loan is paid back. What does that look like to you? Well, I think it's the difference of what it looks like to what it is. So I think at the end of the day, there's the obvious, I mean, that loan looks really bad. But again, we all knew about that when Gemini, when the EARN program blew up and the accusations started flying. And Barry, to his credit, came out and put forward and said, we've done everything you're supposed to do. Thank you. We've done everything you're supposed to do from a legal perspective. There have to be some real inside, like, you know, and in this day and age, text messaging, Slack, you know, you know, background, all these electronic communication forms. It's just a form of eavesdropping. And if the eavesdropping proves to demonstrate that Barry knew what he was doing and negotiated contracts in bad faith where he had fiduciary obligations to protect his investors, to protect the uh, clients and to invest and protect people, he can be he could face problems a la what we think CZ is facing. So far, uh, I, I like the incest or or fraud. I so far I haven't seen anything that's making me sweat on this one yet. Doesn't mean it's not coming. Every you know, my favorite term, yesterday's crypto heroes, tomorrow's crypto felons. You know, it's he's a hero. I don't want to see I don't like seeing my heroes taken down. I hope he's not I hope he's not on the fraud side of this. I think that's yeah, and just for the uh, yeah, and Scott, it's Mark. important to say that like, there is no investigation. The, the authorities have not commented, which is pretty common. Um, so it, it's important to note that, as far as I'm aware, because I looked at here, a spokesman for the federal prosecutors declined to comment. The SEC, FBI, and Gemini did not respond immediately to requests for comment. Authorities have not accused DCG or Silver of any misconduct, and investigations do not always lead to charges. Also, it's important to note uh, that. Um, I think the reason that we said that there could be an investigation is that I think the Winklevoss twins got a call from the FBI asking him questions. Is that correct? It's kind of unclear. I mean, the Winklevoss have been making sort of uh, claims and waving their hands aggressively about all of these things in multiple letters and such. And I think that the implication is that that activity has caused the FBI to start looking at it. Yeah, we should have them on the show. I think they've messaged me a while ago to try to get them on the show, to come on the show and bring in Barry. But obviously, Barry wouldn't come. But it'd be good to have uh, the Winklevi twins come on the show uh, to discuss this because it's been yeah, be uh, dominating the news for a while. Uh, it'll be good to get their take, not only on this case, but on crypto in general. Um, so I'll I'll, uh, I'll message them. But um, it was a pretty good show today, wasn't it, Scott? Yeah, I absolutely loved it. I'm glad you did. How's lunch? Not happening yet because I'm still on spaces. And I heard that Frantech uh, blew up after you posted your feet photos. 
dude, disgusting. Makes me think so much less of the platform yet again. Although it's kind of just amazing and hilarious. I posted my foot photos and I just happened to go check back and uh, apparently my keys are worth double they were now that my disgusting feet are on Frentech. Yeah, and I think Rand's account even benefited from your feet somehow. I think that's what Rand said in the group. So it's uh, maybe post. <laughs> What's next after feet, Scott? We gotta, you gotta always level up. I'm just gonna now use Frentech as Instagram. I'm just gonna like take uh, random horrible pictures of things in my house and post them up with no context and uh, just use it as an Instagram feed. Cool. I was expecting something else, not Instagram, but uh, Instagram goes. Um, I think that's it. We can wrap up the show, All man. Perfect. Yeah, I think we're good, man. That was a great show. Cool, Ran. Beautiful. Thanks, Ran. Great take. All right, guys. Um, it was a great show. And want to give a, a shout out to the sponsors. If you're on your phone, you should go again. Dop. We've had them. If you care about privacy on the blockchain, which, oh, funny enough, uh, to wrap up the show, uh, where's my note here? Because one of the, the pieces of news I wanted to mention I thought was not major enough was um, – I can't, I can't find it. Vitalik talking about how one of the main issues uh, on Ethereum is still scalability being one and, and privacy being another. Well, we've got the solution pinned at the top. DOP has been a sponsor for a while, our partner for a while. So just go on your phone, scroll up to the top and um, check out DOP um, if you care about um, the solution they're working on. And we love the team. We've had them on the show as well. Um, we love them. We know them on a personal level and on a business level. Um, and also there's that leg, red logo that since Ryan is not here, that ugly red logo. Uh, make sure you go on your I'm phone, here, check it out. I'm here, bro. Uh, it's a beautiful there's, logo. There's a, there's a great logo on stage, everyone, that white circle, a uh, really good logo. So if you see the good logo on stage, make sure you follow it because we'll be hosting the shows from there uh, very soon. So please follow the red logo. That's giving love hearts. Appreciate you all. And, and thanks for a great show, guys. Bye, Rom.